Thank you, Grayson. Amen. Great job tonight, you and your team. Appreciate that, Pastor. Always uh, good to be in Mobile and be here with you and uh, share with your good people. And thank you for coming uh, in the middle of the afternoon on Sunday. So glad that you're uh, here tonight. Take your Bible, go to the book of Proverbs, the 14th chapter and the 4th verse. I want us to look there uh, for a moment and uh, share a word with you uh, tonight. Thank you again for uh, opportunity to be here. Proverbs 14 and verse number 4. I, uh, I just felt the nudge of the Spirit of God to change my message about 10 minutes ago uh, while we were just getting ready to come in here and sing and uh, uh, knowing a little bit of what you're uh, uh, doing in, in this week. Uh, you, you guys going to need to feed your pastor something. I mean, he's, he's, in the, he's in the shoot about to kick off the horseshoes, all right? I mean, he hadn't preached all month, so he's about to go nuts. So uh, I'm just telling you, next Sunday, you better bring a sack lunch. I, I can tell you, I've already been talking to him. He's going to be ready to go. Uh, for that we but sound like a great month that uh, you guys have been sharing together uh, here during these days in September. Well, hear the word of the Lord in Proverbs. It's been my uh, habit, I guess, for years to read through the book of Proverbs every month. It's 31 chapters, so it's one chapter for every day of the month. Whatever day of the month it is, read that chapter. I don't do it every year, but uh, most years I do that. As I just read through, and if it's the 18th day of the month, I read the 18th chapter. And so I've underlined Proverbs, a lot of different verses. In Proverbs chapter 14, many years ago, verse number 4 gripped to me, and I want you to hear from the word of the Lord tonight. Proverbs 14 and verse number 4. Reading from the New American Standard, the scripture says, Where no oxen are, the manger is clean, but much revenue comes by the strength of the ox. Man, I underlined that verse. I said, man, that sounds good. I ain't got a clue what that means, but I mean, it really sounds like it's, that's, there's got to be something in there. And so I began to look at it. I come back every month, and I'd read that. Where no oxen are, the manger's clean. I think I understand that part. Much revenue comes by the strength of the ox. I wasn't sure. And, and so I just began to uh, look at that verse and look at that verse, and I read from a Ryrie study Bible. I don't know what kind of study Bible you have, or maybe you don't have any. Uh, study, uh, but if you have a study Bible, they got notes in it. So mine is like this. Some put them in the middle uh, down here, but mine has it down at the bottom, okay? And, and so this is what God said, and then they draw a line, and down at the bottom is what Mr. Ryrie said. Now, don't get that backwards, okay? This is what the Lord said up here. This is what some man said down here at the bottom. He just interpreting uh, what's there. And I hadn't read uh, what Dr. Ryrie had to say, but then I looked down, and he had a note on Proverbs 14. Listen to it. Here's what the Ryrie Study Bible says about Proverbs 14 and verse number 4. There is no milk without some manure. There is no milk without some manure. Some disturbance is the price of growth and accomplishment. I said, now this country preacher, you understand that right there, I, okay? I, I, I got it. I, all of a sudden, I remembered, I'm at Randy Satterfield's house. It's a Sunday afternoon. Every Sunday afternoon in rural northeast Alabama where I'm from, one of the boys went home with one of the other boys after church. And so I was up at the Satterfield's one day and Mr. Lawrence, his daddy said, uh, now you guys can't shoot baskets until you help me. And said, well, what, my daddy ran the store in town. I'm from the country, but I ran a store, so I didn't live rural uh, and have a farm. And Mr. Lawrence said, now you guys got to clean out the hall of the barn before you can shoot baskets. I said, well, this sounds good to me. I don't, it can't be much to that. And so he threw straw in the hall of the barn. He said, now go in there and get a shovel and rake all that out well i stepped in man i went up over my shoes in cow manure and i'm like what in the world he said you got to clean out the hall of the barn and then we had lunch and we had real milk 
I, I don't mean that homogenized deal from down at the IGA. My daddy ran, all right? This was a big gallon glass jar, and they had a cheesecloth over it. When they'd pour that milk in, that butter stuff would come off the top, and then you'd, I hated real milk. Homogenized, that's what we need, all right? Uh, do a little something to it before you give it. But I understood this verse. It all came back to me then. You can't have milk without some manure. Somebody's got to clean that up. You got to grab a, grab a shovel and clean out the hall of the barn. So tonight I want to talk to you about the price of growth in a local church. Now I like it when people say amen when I preach, all right? So just practice one time. All right, that's the last time I want to hear that. No amen in tonight. But if you like something I say, then just say, grab a shovel. Just practice that. All right, you'll find a good place for it. You just throw it in there when it's time, all right? And we're going to look together. I want us to look at, at the New Testament church, the church in Acts, and I want to take Proverbs 14, 4 and lay it over on Acts chapter 11. So if you got your Bible, now go to the New Testament and remember that principle where there's no milk without some manure when we get to Acts 11 and we begin reading in verse 19 at the church in Antioch where we hear these words, Acts 11, verse 19. So then those who were scattered because of the persecution that occurred in connection with Stephen made their way to Phoenicia and Cyprus and Antioch, speaking the word to no one except to the Jews alone. But there were some of them, men of Cyprus and Cyrene, who came to Antioch and began speaking to the Greeks also, preaching the Lord Jesus. And the hand of the Lord was with them, and a large number who believed turned to the Lord. And the news about them reached the ears of the church at Jerusalem, and they sent Barnabas off to Antioch. And when he arrived and witnessed the grace of God, he rejoiced and began to encourage them all with resolute heart to remain true unto the Lord. For he was a good man, full of the Holy Spirit and of faith, and considerable numbers were brought to the Lord. And he, Barnabas, left for Tarsus to look for Saul. And when he had found him, he brought him to Antioch. And for an entire year, they met with the church and taught considerable numbers. And the disciples were first called Christians in Antioch. Remember, no milk unless there's some manure. The price of growth is that there is some disturbance that comes. If nothing's changing, you're a corpse. If the church is not moving, it's dead. If there is nothing in our lives that brings some tension, we may not be dead, but we're at least in the memory care unit where there's no stress, no anxiety, nothing to push through and go forward about. The New Testament church had to always grab a shovel because there's stuff to clean up. And I want to show you what I call tonight the dirty work of the local church. And I want you to think with me about that out of this New Testament church in Antioch with that Proverbs 14, 4 principle laid on top of it. Let's look at four, four dirty works, if you will, of the church. First of all, the first dirty work of the local church is that that I simply call evangelism, where we love the lost. You notice that uh, they've been scattered uh, the church is in Jerusalem, but now they've been scattered because of the persecution. And verse 19 says they've gone uh, after Stephen died to Phoenicia, Cyprus, and to Antioch. Antioch has become the mother church. Jerusalem will soon be eclipsed. Jerusalem will be out of the way. And Antioch will become the home mission base for all of the worldwide evangelism that takes place. Even today, everything that we do started not in Jerusalem, but really started from Antioch as it went out. 
from the book of Acts. And you see these people coming, men from Cyprus and Cyrene. Cyprus is an island in the Mediterranean. Cyrene is in northern Africa. How in the world did men in northern Africa hear about the gospel? Well, the Ethiopian eunuch, that's how it happened. Philip's down there, shared the gospel with him, got up in the chariot, and he went down. He's in North Africa. He's sharing the gospel. The Africans came out with the men of Cyprus, and they wind up now coming to Antioch, and they are speaking. Look at this. They are speaking to the Greeks also. Some had only been preaching to the Jews, but now this group of lunatics is preaching to the non-Jews, and they've got the Jews and the Greeks together preaching the Lord Jesus and the hand of God was on him and a large number believed. Uh oh. Friend, if you think putting black and white together is difficult in our culture, you ought to put Greeks and Jews together in the first century. Oh man, that's like dynamite and a bunch of Zippo ladders right there. I, I'm telling you, you have got an explosion on your hand. But they said the gospel, the gospel is first for every city. They're going to Antioch. It's a half million in population. It's for every generation. It's for every race, every tribe, every tongue. We must take the gospel not only to Mobile, but to Alabama, to the southeast, across the United States and around the world. It is our job. I knew you'd help me. Amen. <laughs> we we got to go. Every city, every city needs the gospel. Man, some cities are easier than others. I had a man this morning sit on the front row right here where these two young men sit. He and his wife sat right on the front row. Nobody sits on the front row at Olive on Sunday morning. You, you got to be a deacon or an usher or a security with a gun or something. You, you got, but these guys came and had more sense, sat right on the front row. After church, he walked right up to me, and I said, sir, it's good to have you. He said, this is your first time. He said, yes, first time I've been here. Uh, I said, where are you from? He said, I moved here three weeks ago from Oregon. He said, things are different here than they are in Oregon. I said, blessed be the name of the Lord, they are. I, I'm telling you, you want to find a hard city, go to Portland, go to Eugene. I'm telling you, it's not an easy place. But every city needs the gospel. Pensacola needs the gospel. Mobile, every city in the world needs the gospel. But not only every city, every generation. Pastor, I didn't know. I, I hadn't been to your church before. I, I didn't know what or who. There's a lot of young folks in this church tonight. You've already encouraged this preacher. We, we got to reach every generation. And you know, there, there's some older folks here too. And that's, that's, that's healthy for a church is when you become multi-generational. Now, my mama's still alive. She's 91 years old. She's in a memory care unit. She's not sure where she is, but I'll see her tomorrow. Mama's 91. Grace and she led music in our church for years. Loves the Lord Jesus. I'm an only child. And now here I am, and I got two kids, and I got grandkids. That's four generations right there. And we all go to church together. We must do it. But I'm telling you, reaching this young generation, that, that, that's another deal. I don't understand them. I didn't quit trying. I just love them in Jesus' name. That's all I know to do. I... I looked around as I was going to use this illustration and see any. There may be some out there. Ripped jeans just, I, I don't understand ripped jeans. I, I, I don't. So you, you buy a good pair of pants and you got holes in them. I, I, I got me a pair of those one time. And I wore them home to the mountain where I'm from. And my mother looked at me weird when I came in. And I got up the next morning she patched my pants. I, I, I'm just, it's. It's amazing. I, you know, one generation means to another. It's just different, you know, and, and I don't understand, okay? I'm just, I'm not, if you got on ripped pants tonight, don't worry about it. It doesn't bother me. I'm just telling you I don't understand it. I, I, I don't understand piercings either. I don't understand tattoos. I, I, don't, I don't even think I'm man enough to be a teenager in this culture. I, I really don't think I am. I, I, I used to be, but I'm not now. I, I don't know how to do it. I, I mean, they got the little stuff in their nose and their ears. And, uh, uh, yeah, right here. I, uh, uh, I, I, I tell our guys when they're baptizing and, and the young people come through and they got all that metal in them, I said, just baptize them and dry them off before they rust. That's all I know. Get them, get them out of here. All right? We got to reach every generation. And I'm telling you, you don't have to like it to invite them into the house of the living God. We got to do it. 
You, you, reach out, you reach up to the elderly and you love them. You reach out to that young generation and bring them together. And then don't forget my crowd. Bless God, we're the baby boomers. There's more of us than there's any of you, so you better love us. <laughs> we're going to mess up your Social Security if you don't love us, all right? I'm just telling you, a multi-generational church is not the easiest thing you'll ever do. But they reach to the Greek and the Jew in every city and every generation. Now watch this. They reached every race, every tribe, every tongue. I've been at Olive Baptist Church five or six years. and We're getting ready to build a new building. We had a few people that were non-Caucasian that came. Not too many. The day that I raised money to build our new building, he walked down the aisle. Black gentleman. First black adult to join our church. I said, Lord, I don't need this today. Of all days, I, I don't need to deal with this now. All oh, my people loved him. Matter of fact, now here we are 20 years later, and his wife, if you call our church tomorrow, she'll answer the phone. Her name's Rose. Oh, how I've come to love that couple. But I had a lady come to me, and she said, Pastor, all these people that's coming into our church, she said, you know, I'm, they're just not our kind. Now, Back then, I was young and, and uh, oh, I don't know, I just kind of forward, not sweet and old like I am now. I mean, I, I, and I just looked at her and I said, well, what kind are you? She said, well, you know. I said, no, all I know is what you said, and if these people come in are not our kind, I said, what kind are you? She said, well, you know. I said, listen, there's only two kinds, saved and lost. Which kind are you? Friend, I'm telling you, it, it matters not the generation or the pigmentation. The dirty work of the church is to do evangelism here and around the world. To invite the world to come to the cross. Oh, we sing about it, but do we practice it? God help us to do the dirty work of evangelism. Secondly, though, they did not only the dirty work of evangelism, they did the dirty work of encouragement. Now watch this. The Bible says that this revival exploded in Antioch in the church up at Jerusalem heard about it and they sent Barnabas down there. His real name is Joseph but he his name is son of consolation. He's such an encourager that they gave him a nickname and they called him Mr. Encouragement and that's what the word Barnabas means and they sent Barnabas down and he came and saw what was going on and when he arrived in verse 23 he witnessed the grace of God and then he encouraged them there it is there's his word he began to encourage them all with his resolute heart saying remain true unto the Lord for he was a good man full of the Holy Spirit and of faith he loved the people and encouraged them a good man full of the Holy Spirit and full of faith I'm telling you we need a spirit of encouragement in our church anybody speak a good word to you today man a good word will help you we need to be building one another up and lifting each other. That's what Barnabas did. You do that because you're a good man, full of the Holy Spirit and full of faith. And when you come to that place, you will be an encourager of others. Oh, my goodness, we need that kind of work in our church. I got all kind of folks at my church. I love my church, 32 years. I love Olive, and I think they love me. We get along pretty good, but I, I got lots of different kind of people. You know, the Bible says that we are to bear fruit and that we are in the vine, and the vine emanates through the branches, and the fruit hangs out here on us. Oh, we got all kind of fruit at our place. I, I got people in, in our family that are really fruit bearers. That's what we're supposed to We're supposed to be bearing fruit. Love, joy, peace, gentleness. We bear fruit. I got fruit bears, thank God. I have at my church fruit consumers. They don't bear fruit, they just eat. They don't give nothing, but they want you to pay the bill. They're they just here to consume. They're fruit consumers. I have fruit inspectors at my church. 
They're just always looking. Well, that sermon's a little long. You know, that song, we didn't do enough of that kind of music I like. It's a little hot in here, isn't it, Pastor? Just inspecting everything you do. Fruit inspectors. You could call them people with a judgmental spirit. Hmm. <laughs> I got fruit flies in my church. <laughs> they never show up till there's a stink. <laughs> and then here they are. <laughs> yes, sir. Oh, there they are. I got fruit loops in my church. I, I got certifiably crazy people that come to Olive Baptist Church. I had a guy walk in this morning with a cat. That cat is that long. Laid up on his shoulder. Come walking in with a cat. Fruit loop. Didn't have no tag on the cat. This is not some kind of emotional, helpful cat. It's just a cat. He's crazy. Hmm. Yeah. They're there. <laughs> I got fruit of the loom people in my this the crowd sneaks up behind you when you're not looking to make things very uncomfortable in your life. Ah, <laughs> oh, we got all kind of folks. We need to encourage one another, amen? Yeah, we really do. We need to encourage one another. Listen to me. I, I've been in my church for 32 years, 31 of the happiest years of my life. There was 1997. It's the worst year of my life. I've been to church seven years. I came in 1990. October, uh, I'd been there for a while. Church was growing. We go from one service to, and we were in a third service. I was preaching three times every Sunday morning, once on Sunday night, and things were going well, and we were growing. And it looked good, but I had to make a move. I, ha I had to do some things to move the church forward with some staff, and, and it just wasn't the most popular thing. I'm not telling you I even did the right thing or did the right thing the right way. I, I, I just did what I I prayed through and tried to find, well, you just don't make everybody happy. I didn't make everybody happy that day. And I had some folks really get after me, and I, I got nasty letters. Uh, my wife got a letter addressed to Jezebel. Uh, I got a letter that said, Pastor, we're going to burn your house down. Uh, I had the police stay in my house two different nights during that. And um, mm, I called my wife. I said, honey, I got good news and bad news. She said, what's the good news? I said, you're getting a new house. They <laughs> <laughs> wanted me to leave, and I wanted to leave. But you know, Pastor, when, when you want a pulpit committee, you can't find one. <laughs> you know, when you're not looking for one, they show up. It was just a hard day. It, it was just a real hard season. And I wanted out. God, went, He had me on the potter's wheel. He's just knocking everything out of me. It wasn't Jesus. That's what he was doing. He was working on that young preacher, just trying to share. But I didn't realize that it was hurt. I needed a good word of encouragement. I came home one night, about 8.30. I pulled in, and there was a car in front of my house that I, I didn't know. They parked right by my mailbox. Had my son with me. My wife and daughter were elsewhere, and I went in, put my son to bed, and I looked out the window, and the car's still there. I thought, well, this may be it. They may have come to get me. And so I opened the door and I walked down, walked down to the mailbox. And as I got there, three doors sprang open on the car. I thought, oh. And three of my dearest friends in all the world got out of that car. I said, what are you doing and whose car is this? They said, we rented this car at 5 o'clock this morning. I said, what are you doing in that car? What are you doing here tonight? They said, well, Pastor, we've been on a little trip. I said, what are you talking about? They said, we want you to know we love you. I said, I, I think I, I believe that. I know you do. You've told me. Well, I'm from rural northeast Alabama. Where Mobile is in the southwest corner of Alabama, my home is right in the northeast corner, just as far as you can go in the northeast corner of Alabama. 50 miles south of Chattanooga, Tennessee, just across the line is Rome, Georgia. That's my home right up there. Sand Mountain is there where the tail end of the Appalachian chain. They said, Pastor, you've told us that when you was a kid, that artesian water bubble up. I said, yeah, man, I, I'd drink that water. I'd be hot on my bicycle, and the water just bubble up out of the ground. You'd just drink it. And 
He said, you ever read 2 Samuel 23 where... I said, oh, yeah. I said, David's in the cave, and the three guys went and got water. He said, yeah. We got in the car this morning. We drove 350 miles to Pisgah, Alabama. We spent two hours with your mother and father. And they reached over, Pastor, in the back of that car, and they got out a quart fruit jar. They said, we've brought you a drink of water from your home in your Bethlehem. You read it. In 2 Samuel, where David is in the cave of the duel and Philistines are against him, he said, oh, I wish I had a drink of water from the well at home in Bethlehem. Three guys got together, broke through the line, went down, got the water, brought it back to David. David said, my Lord and my God, what it said in the text, I will not drink this. And he poured it out like a libation under the Lord. He said, I can't drink this. Those guys went in jeopardy of my life, of their lives for me. Those guys gave me that water. <laughs> I've never been so encouraged in all my life. You know, the Bible says, speak a good word, it's like a cool drink of water. Well, they brought me that drink of water. I said, praise God. We, we had a spell there and just prayed and shouted. They said, we brought you something else. Said, you told us when you're 17, God called you to preach. You'd go out there and lie down on that big rock. I said, yeah. I said, you can see the Tennessee River running out of Tennessee and down into North Alabama, right across North Alabama. They built all those dams on the Tennessee River where the Tennessee Valley Authority was going. Uh, we Alabama fans say the only good thing come out of Tennessee is that river. And here it comes down and runs across. And we see that river. I said, yeah. And they said, we had your daddy take us out there. And we took a hammer and we busted off two pieces of that big rock. They reached over in the back and they brought me rocks. I can just barely hold them in my hand. I have them planted right outside my office at home. Every now and then I get discouraged. I go out there and I put one foot on one rock, one on another. And they said, Pastor, if you'll keep yourself on the rock where God calls you, he will be your chief cornerstone. He'll be the rock of ages. He'll be your firm foundation. You stay where God wants you to be. Lord, I'm telling you, we, we had a spell. In the You'd have thought we was from the Brownsville Assembly of God. I'm telling you, we... We, we, we were dancing and shouting, and oh, man, it's a great time. They said, we brought you one more thing. I said, what? Some of you older folks will know what this is. They reached over and brought out a two-pound Maxwell House coffee can. Metal, rusted, used to have that key on it, you know. Cut your finger, slam off if you wasn't careful with it. They had put gravel in there and they had cut rhododendron off the side of the mountain, some fresh flowers, and stuck it down in there and said, we brought you some flowers from home. I want you to know the Lord will be the lily of your valley, the fresh flower of your soul. He'll be the rose of your sharing if you'll trust him all the days of your life. Church, I want you to know I've never been so encouraged. And then, listen to me now, those three guys, they said, Pastor Big Dennis, left-handed. I've never told these men's names. I never tell their names until they die. Dennis is dead. The other two alive. I never mentioned their names. He took that big hand, put it on my mouth. He said, can, I know it's hard for you, Pastor. Can you just be quiet for a minute? I said, he said, the three of us have talked and we want you to know we are willing to die for you. We're willing to lay down our life. If they're going to get you, they're going to come through us. They will not touch you lest they come through us. My Lord, I've never been so encouraged. I said, but he said, just listen. We're here. And he was just back before we had cell phone. He wrote down their names. They'd already written it down. He said, here's our name and number. And said, wherever you are, if you're ever in trouble, you call one of us, we call the other two, and three of us will be there just as quick as we can come. We will be there for you. Hallelujah. Amen. So if you don't like this message, I really don't give a rip. Just, uh, <laughs> but, but don't mess with me because it's not far to Pensacola, and I got their names in my phone right there. <laughs> and the other two are still alive, and they both have carry permits, and they'll be here as quick as they can. They're my dear friends. I said, Pastor, we'd, we'd give our life for you. Well, they got in the car and started to leave. and They didn't go 10 feet and the brake lights came on. <laughs> Dennis stuck his big old head out the back window. He's a big guy, 6'5". Nick tell you who he is. 
He said, Preacher, we forgot to tell you one other thing. I said, yeah, what, what's that? He said, if you ever become a liberal or sleep with the wrong woman, the three of us will kill you. <laughs> In Jesus' name, they said, but they would. Do, do you understand tonight? Hear me, men. Your pastor needs men like that. Your leaders and others need people around each other like that that will lay down their life, that will be an encourager, that will stay not when everything's pretty. I'm talking about when the manure gets up over your shoes, you need somebody to stay with you. It's called the dirty work of encouragement. May God rest on your soul to be an encourager another the dirty work of evangelism the dirty work of encouragement thirdly very quickly the the dirty work of equipping of equipping the bible says that barnabas went and found saul brought him from tarsus here and they taught a considerable number for a year and, and they were first called christians this is that work of equipping one another we must contend earnestly for the faith which was once for all handed down to the saints the goal of our instruction paul said to timothy is a love from a pure heart a good conscience and a sincere faith we must be raising up people and teaching them taking this word and spending time in an awanas class in a sunday school class in a preschool class in a middle school oh my lord if you teach middle school i pray for you tonight Love middle schoolers, but God help us, all right? Amen. And if, if you teach 10th graders, in Jesus' name, sophomores. Any sophomores here tonight? There you are. There they are. There they are. You know what the word sophomore means? It's two words put together, Sophia and Moros. <laughs> Sophia means wisdom, and Moros means exactly what you think it does. It means moron, all right? A sophomore is a wise fool. They think they know more than anybody. But don't worry about them. They'll become a junior and they'll be fine. They'll move right through it. But you see, that's, it's, it's a season in our life. And, oh, we got to teach them the Word of God because they're soaking it all up. I guarantee you, this young lady right here, if you'll teach her the Word of God, she'll soak it up. I can already tell. That's the kind of girl that she is. Amen. Equip, equip, equip. Put the word in your heart. I got four guys with me tonight. How you doing, men? I, I got ten young preachers over at Olive right now. Uh, I Some been out and gone. Got one of them over to the University of Mobile now. He couldn't be here now. These four guys rode over with me tonight. And I said, well, just go. We usually meet on Sunday nights. And I just pour into these eight to ten guys that can come. And uh, we, we talk about everything under the sun. I said, come and, and we'll let another pastor pour. So we got here a little early and your dear pastor spent about 30 minutes pouring into these guys tonight. It's called equipping, equipping. I share from my vantage point. He shares from his tonight and, and pouring into their life. High school senior, one about to graduate from seminary, one about to graduate from uh, college and head off to Southeastern, one down here on the end, just a freshman uh, in his class at the University of West Florida. Uh, those four guys got several others, one at Sanford University, one, as I said, University of Mobile. I got one, it's a Marine and a uh, young man, it's a police officer over in Pensacola and several may. Remember, we added one this morning, added one, tall, what's his name? Yeah, we put, he came down, man, he, he's from Clearwater, Florida, and God put him in the University of West Florida. He is an evangelist on fire. He came by, and he said, Pastor, I think God's called me. I said, good, come, son, we'll equip you. We'll, you need somebody to come alongside you and build you. Anybody can cuss you and carry on and tear you down, amen? You need somebody who is a Mr. Encourager. A good man, full of the Holy Ghost and full of faith. That's what we need. And do that dirty. It's not easy work. It's dirty work to encourage people. But oh, that word fitly spoken. Like settings of silver. Yes, hallelujah, hallelujah. Say a good word. I'm going to challenge you before you leave here. If you go to dinner tonight, encourage somebody before you leave this place. Somebody's blessed you, tell them. That they've blessed you. Number four. Not only we see in this the dirty work of evangelism. We see the dirty work of uh, equipping and encouraging. But there's the dirty work of economics. Economics. Now look at this. When you uh, go through the text. 
And I've read down in chapter 12, down to verse 26. But in verse 27, the Bible says that some of the prophets came down from Jerusalem to Antioch. One of them was named Agabus. And Agabus said, there's going to be, there's going to be a famine in all the land. And they took up an offering in the proportion that any of the disciples had means, verse 29 said. And they determined to send a contribution for the relief of the brethren living in Judea. And this they did, sending in charge of Barnabas and Saul to the elders. I want to challenge you on this Sunday afternoon, Sunday night, that you be a giver. It's dirty work, but we need people that will give. Visionary giving. You're talking about that tonight, trying to raise money so you can do that in missions. There's visionary giving. There's proportionate giving. That's your tithe. That's your tithe. You ought to give 10% uh, right off the top as you give. There's church giving over and above, things that you stay local right here with. I'm telling you, God loves a cheerful giver. Amen? God loves a cheerful giver. He'd take it from a grouch, but I'm telling you, he loves a cheerful giver. You ought to be a giver. You ought to be a giver. It's the dirty work of economics. Amen. Last Sunday, we had the second largest offering at our church we've had in the history of my 32 years. I mean, it was big. I had a baby boomer couple came to see me a few weeks ago and said, Pastor, you know mom and daddy died and we're the only children. You know, we got that farm up in Alabama, and we're going to sell it. And when we sell it, we're going to give a tithe to Olive Church. I said, well, good. I didn't know what they are talking about. They sold that farm for almost $3 million. Now, I'm no mathematician, but I can move decimals. 10% easy. And they brought me a check and handed it to me last week and doubled our offering. Unbelievable. But this morning, after the man with the cat left, a homeless man walked in. He came into the window and talked to Rose, and then he went back out, and then he came in again a little later, and she called me just before I went over for first church, and she said, Pastor, you saw that homeless man? I said, yeah. He said, he came by. And I kept it. I'll put it in the offering tomorrow. Said he wanted to give. He had a dollar. Now last week, I got a check for over a quarter of a million dollars. And this morning, I got a dollar. Now when I read in this book, the Lord wrote a story, but it wasn't about the half a million. It was about the widow's mite. We need to all give. Some make what we think is a big gift. Others make what we think is a small gift. The Lord just loves a cheerful giver. And when we bring it all together, oh, my goodness, what we can do together. We can do more together in God do more in a moment than we can do in a millennium. He loves the widow's might. Amen. He loves the widow's much. But as God blesses you, you learn to give. I have two grandchildren. It's the most expensive habit I have. God help us. I'll be so glad when they go to work. But I give money to them. But I'm telling you, I drill it into them. Whatever Papa T gives you, you owe your heavenly father 10% or more of that. Oh, and they snarl. Won't you give us a little more? I said, when you learn to give God more, I might give you a little more. You see, teaching, giving is not easy. Pastors have to teach on that. And when you do, people watch it. Oh, they talk about money. You know better than that. But you read what Jesus says in this book. There's a whole lot about funding in this book. Amen. 
<laughs> he talks a great deal about our riches and how they blind us if we're not careful. Well, amen. That's the introduction to tonight's message. <laughs> Seriously, it is. But the sermon's real short, so you can say, grab a shovel. How do you do dirty work? Hmm. You do dirty work with clean hands. Yeah. Proverbs are, are Psalm 24 and verse 3. Who, who can ascend to the hill of the Lord? He that has clean hands, a pure heart, has not lifted up his soul to falsehood, and he has not sworn deceitfully. Those are the hands. Those are the hands. That'll do dirty work. Those hands that are clean before the Lord. You, you're not clean on your own. You're clean before the Father. And I want you to do something, and we're going to have an invitation time here in a moment. I want you just to lay your Bible in your lap. And I want, would you just put your hands in front of you? Just, just look down at your hands. Would you? Just, just look at your hands. Amen. Just look. Now, first of all, I want you to think about Jesus' hands. You know, Jesus' hands have scars. Those scars are there because he died for you on Calvary's cross and he was nailed. Some say in the palm, others say in the wrists. Somewhere he was nailed to Calvary's cross. He died for you. He took you into his hands and there he bled and suffered and received you. Just thank him in your heart. Now secondly, think of your hands. Look at them. Look at them. Are your hands clean before the Lord? Carrying guilt or unconfessed sin? Is there anything in that hand that needs to be given to the Lord? Anything you're clutching that you shouldn't clutch that you ought to give to him? Give an open hand. Unto the Lord. Now look right here at this pastor. Before I came in here tonight, I did it. Before I preach any time I do it with my hands. I do three things with my hands. I learned this from Dr. Adrian Rogers, pastor. I asked him one day, I said, Doc, what do you do before you preach? He told me this, and I do it every time. I First of all, I raise my hand. I bless his holy name. Hallelujah, hallelujah, hallelujah for the good things God has done. Then I move my hands right out here like this. Galatians 2.20, I'm crucified with Christ. Nevertheless, I live. Yet not I, but Christ lives in me. And the life that I now live, I live by faith. And the Son of God loved me and gave himself for me. Lord, I die to myself. This is my prayer. I pray, oh God, let me get dead to Ted. Dead to Ted. The last thing Olive Baptist Church or Westmobile Baptist Church needs is a TED talk. You don't need to hear from me, all right? I just say, Lord, let me die to myself, dead to TED. And then I move my hands right here, and I say, oh, Holy Spirit of God, come, I receive your unction. You've promised it in 1 John 2.20, 1 John 2.27. You, you've promised the unction, the filling, the anointing of the Holy Spirit. And I say, oh, God, come. Let me tell you, friend, he doesn't come till you get clean. You got to know you're a saved man or woman. Then you've got to get confessed up. You 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 get clean before God. When you get clean and get your hands empty of yourself, He will fill you and flood you, and He'll allow your hands to do dirty work. Do dirty work. You've heard preaching all this month. masters last week my lord have mercy when I got the lineup I called and said can I switch places I love brother Fred he's my dear friend love him all my soul you, you've heard enough truth just have you acted on that truth so here's what I'd like us to do can I get a keyboard player if I got a keyboard player can come right quick yeah that's all I'll need, okay? You can just begin to play softly. And here's what I'd like to do tonight. 
If you're over 75 years of age, would you just lift your hand if you're over 75? Amen, amen. I'm going to ask you as the piano starts, if you're over 75, I'd like you just to come stand right here in front of me and look up here at me. Would you come? Amen. Take you just a minute, I know, but you come. Amen. If you're over 75, just come stand right here and face me. Face me. Amen. Just right here in the front. Hallelujah. Thank you for doing it. Thank you, David. Amen. Good. Yeah, if y'all just file right in there. Just make a line. Praise the Lord. He's some of your heroes right here, friend. Okay? He's some of your heroes. So y'all just make a line right there. How many folks I got in here tonight, and you're under 25? You're under 25. What I want you to do is I want you to come and stand behind these, and I want you to lay your hands on this older generation. Amen. If y'all would just turn and face me, then you just lay your hands upon the shoulders and pray for them. My Lord, what a group of kids. Hallelujah. I want you to pray out loud. Some of them may be your grandparents, somebody you love, may not even know them. I don't know. Would you just pray the favor of God on them and thank them for what they've done for your life? Just pray out loud right now. Just bless them in Jesus' name. while they finish all you tweeners that are out there. You'll need to find somebody to encourage them tonight. So you, you, you got two generations here and there's some in between this. We talked about it a while ago. This is how you grow church. This is how you do church. So now I'm an over 75 crowd. Would you just turn around and tell those kids you love them and bless them in Jesus' name. Amen. Yes. Amen. Good. Yeah. Now, young people, look right here at this preacher. Hear me. If it wasn't for this crowd, this place wouldn't be here. Okay? Now, this crowd's going to heaven, most of them, before you are. The day's coming when you're going to stand where they are. So make sure you're raising up a generation coming behind you that'll come love your neck when you get there. You say, well, I won't ever get that old. Well, you just bat your eyes, you'll be standing here. Okay? Amen? Boy, I love y'all. You, 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 you listen just so great tonight. Bless the name of the Lord for every one of you. You're growing a church here, and I'm thankful to God for you. You're doing dirty work, and you've done some of it right here tonight. Amen. Blessed be the name of the Lord. Hallelujah and hallelujah. Amen. Amen. Hey, is anybody here tonight need to join this church? Anybody here wants to join the church? Anybody here is lost, wants to get saved? Anybody here needs to come make a commitment to the Lord tonight? Say, Prince, that's the weirdest invitation I've ever seen. Well, anybody need to come for us? I don't know who this guy is right here. He must be a pretty good guy. Amen. Amen. <laughs> Blessed be the name of the Lord. That's good. Yeah. A preacher, I'm done. That's all I got. Dude. Well, praise the Lord, man. I love you. God's blessing this place.
Yes, he is. Thank you for leading us and taking us where we need to go. And I'm going to pray next Sunday that God give you an hour and a half to preach. Amen. Thank you, Brother Ted. We let Brother Ted know we appreciate him again. That may be one of the most beautiful scenes I have ever seen in my life in a church. Thank you, Brother. A friend of mine texted me just then and said the Lord's trying to tell us something. We, we've been, I've been teaching through Acts on Wednesday nights. Uh, I think it's nine months we've been working. We got through Acts 6 so far. We started in Acts 7 last Wednesday night. Uh, but it's just amazing how God works. Just trying to show us we're going to be the church that God wants us to be. We've got to remember that we are sent to serve. We're not, we're not, you don't come to Christ to sit and soak. You don't come to Christ. You get waterlogged that way. I've seen it. Um, you, you come to Christ and you're changed. Behold, all things are made new. We know that from 2 Corinthians 5, 17. And then we have to put whatever it is that God has put in us, we've got to put it to work for us, through us, for his kingdom. And at Westmobile, y'all know this. Y'all have heard me say this enough. I, I, I brag on y'all all the time. If y'all had a pastor, I understand what God could do with y'all. <laughs> this is the most amazing body of believers I have ever been a part of. And I am thankful to you. I'm thankful to God that he's letting me serve you as your pastor, and I'm thankful to you for the encouragement, uh, just the way you live your lives, the way you give, the way you serve, the way you encourage, the way you share the gospel. But I want you to be careful of one thing. We're going to close with this. Until Christ returns or he calls you home, it's never enough. There's always another day. I, I told Brother Richie and Heather this morning, I said, you know, we, we walked out, and they looked, said, let's look a little cloudy out here. I said, well, you know how to tell if it's going to rain when you wake up in Mobile. And they said, how's that? I said, you wake up in Mobile. <laughs> Pretty good indication it's going to rain. That same token, if you wake up in the morning, you're on mission. If you wake up in the morning, God has something to do with you. He's got something for you to do for his kingdom. I'm challenged by that to wake up in the morning and look at my hands and say, Lord, keep them clean so that I can grab a shovel and do the dirty work of ministry. Would you stand with me? I'm going to bless the food. I'm going to dismiss this with a word of prayer. Brother Ted, if you'll hang out here, I know some of our folks want to come by and, and speak to you. Thank you for being here. Gentlemen, I don't remember everybody's name. Noah, Calvin, Nick. What's the other one? Sam. How did I get Sam? Thank you guys for being here. Thank you for your commitment to the Lord. Praying for you guys. Would you pray with me? Father, thank you again for such a challenge. This day has been uh, more than I can carry in my bucket. And I'm thankful for that because, Lord, I need you to help me carry it. Show me places in my life that I'm not meeting the expectations that you have for me as a follower of Christ, as a husband, as a father, as a pastor. God, use us for your glory. Whatever that looks like and whatever that feels like and however much that costs, God, use this church for the glory of King Jesus. Be exalted in each one of us. Be exalted in this place. God, bless the food now in the time of fellowship. Thank you for those that have worked so diligently to prepare the food and, and the settings and all that. God, help us to just enjoy each other's company. Help us to encourage one another so that we can be about the Father's business tomorrow. And we'll praise you for that in Christ's name. Amen.